0: Please take out a Bible and turn in it to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21 this morning. There's a Pew Bible there in front of you. If you'd like to follow along, you can find the passage on page 902. John 15, 18 through 21. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Today is the day that we associate with pastel colors, and thus the tie, uh, bunnies, eggs candies, fancy hats. This is a day of happy and sappy, colorful and sweet. This is also the day when many people attend, attend a church service, uh, then they often wouldn't attend. This is the day churches work extra hard to get non-Christians to come. This is the day to grab them and keep them with a positive and encouraging message. And yet in God's mysterious timing, we find ourselves this day in John fifteen eighteen. the world hates you. We just had, let not your hearts be troubled. These things I've spoken to you, that your joy may be full. Love one another as I have loved you. But today, the world hates you. Straight from love to hate. Happy Resurrection Sunday. And welcome to Woodside Community Church. But we do preach expositionally here, which means that we take a book of the Bible, because we believe that it's God's word. We start at the beginning, and then we preach all the way through to the end in order, verse by verse. Verse And this is our next text. So this is our text for this day. Let's roll with it. I think it's actually a great text for this day. We hope that many of you are here and visiting with us today. We hope you came out to hear our wonderful choir. We want you to hear beautiful singing. But as I said, more importantly, we want you to hear the beautiful truths that they are singing. And we want you to believe those truths. And if we're being honest, we want you to believe and be saved and become a Christian, but what does that mean? And what does that look like? What can you expect if you decide this day to follow Jesus? What if I convince you this day that Christ is Lord and that all that the choir is singing about is true? What will it mean for you? And what does it mean for those of you who are already Christians? What is the Christian life really like? Well, maybe not quite like we often expect. And expectations are everything. If you tell me that you are going to give me 10 dollars, and then you give me 100 dollars, great. right? Wonderful. I am excited. You are all welcome to do that after the service. I'm kidding, don't give me money. Put it in the offering plate. That's 100 dollars. That's a lot of cookies. That's a lot of books. I would be excited. You, prom- you told me 10, you gave me 100. You exceeded my expectations. But if you tell me and somehow convince me that you're going to give me a million dollars, and then you give me a hundred dollars, well, not so happy. I expected a million. You gave me one ten thousandth of that. I had to look that up, the math, and make sure that I was correct. It's the same amount of money in both cases. It's a hundred dollars. But my response is entirely different. Entirely because of expectations. So I'm not going to waste your time this morning telling you that if you just believe in Jesus, you can have your best life now, that all your troubles will go away, that you will be healthy, wealthy, and happy. I want to tell you biblically and realistically what the Christian life is like with all of its troubles and difficulties and why it's still infinitely and eternally better than anything and everything else. The resurrection that we celebrate this Sunday and every Sunday is obviously all about life. And life is what every single one of us need. And life is what is found in Christ. True life, full life, spiritual, everlasting life. That is what is offered for you this day in Christ. But first, you need to realistically face and know what this life is. Is like. What does the resurrection mean for those who believe? Many things, but from our text, I've drawn four points for us. I have less time than usual. Please do not cheer, so we'll have to move quickly. But we're seeking to answer the question in the next few minutes what is the Christian life which results from the resurrection? Well, what is that life like? Number one, you will be hated. Number two, you will be persecuted. But number three, you will be like Jesus. And so number four, you will be truly and fully alive. Let me read our text for you. I'm reading in John 15, 18 through 21. Again, we believe this is God's word. We believe this is God himself speaking to you this day. So please pay attention to what God wants to say to you today. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If you would bow with me, let's, let's pause. Uh, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the giver of all good things. We thank you that you have given to us the good thing that is song this morning. Father, what a pleasure and blessing it is to proclaim your praises in song. So We thank you for the choir and their work. Bless them as they prepare to come back and continue to do that father we thank you for giving us your good word which also proclaims who you are and what you have done for us in christ father help us now in these next few minutes to set everything else aside and to focus on your word and on your son jesus christ who is alive father i pray that i could communicate clearly and truthfully in accordance with your word but father most importantly i ask that your spirit would work through your word Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, I can do nothing in this time. Father, there are people in this room who do not know Jesus Christ and who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Father, we ask and pray that you would make them alive through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, you will be hated. Not my favorite first point. Not how I would have planned my Resurrection Sunday message. But what can you do? Look at verse 18. Jesus uses the word hate three times. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Hate, hate, hate. Why hate? Why is Jesus all about love? Literally the God who is love. Why is he talking about hate? Well, Jesus is shifting his focus now in verse 18. You could say in verses 1 through 11, Jesus is teaching about our relationship with him. In verses 12 through 17, he's been teaching about our relationship with with one another, with other Christians. Then in verses 18 through 27, he's teaching about our relationship with the world. Jesus is preparing his followers for how the world is going to treat them. And he says hate. But first, world. Some of you are thinking, what in the world? We first need to answer, what is the world? What does Jesus mean when he says world there? Okay, we're not talking about the world as in the earth, the, the world of creation. We escaped for a night up to the Adirondacks last week. It was amazing. Did you know that there's a whole part of this state that is not New York City? Right? I, I did not. There's this whole big Place. And it's and it's beautiful. There were mountains and Lake George and snow and trees. We have trees in this state. It was it was amazing. But that world is good. It's it's beautiful. It's created by God to reveal God and his glory. You're supposed to look at it and say, look how big this all is. The God who made it must be big. Look how beautiful this all is. The God who made it must be beautiful. Right. That world is good. That's not what Jesus means by world in verse 18. As he uses the word in John's gospel, the word world generally means the world of mankind, the the human world, or according to scripture, the the fallen world. It is the world, the whole system of man set up in opposition to the God who made us. Look back all the way at chapter 1 in the beginning of this Book John chapter 1 verse 9 is the first use of this important word world. It's hard to say. John 1 9 it's talking about Jesus, his incarnation and his birth. That's what we supposedly celebrate at Christmas. John 1 9 says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's that's huge. That's the most important thing. That has ever happened. God the maker of the world. Entered into. That which he has made. And what happened. Well, look at this. This is all that you need to know about the world. Here is the true nature of the world. Revealed most clearly. Look at verse 10. He enters into the world. Verse 10. And he was in the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own. And his own people did not know receive him. That which was made, us, refused to know that which made us. That which was made, us, did not receive, instead rejected the one who made us. That's, that's the world. That's what Jesus means. It's, it's the world that has refused and rejected its very maker. And that's why Jesus says the world will hate you. So back to our text, 15 and 18, he says, It will hate you, well, because it has hated me before it hated you. So Jesus says the world will hate Christians, well, because it first hates Christ. And so now look at verse 19. Why else will the world hate us? He says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Yeah, we all know this from experience. It is, it is tragically natural for fallen mankind to hate that which is not like him. Or just look at our current political polarization. The, the, the insanity on, on both sides and just the animosity and the hatred. Uh, just look back over the course of world history and the innumerable conflicts that have resulted from the hate of that which is simply other. And as we saw last time, the very thing that God is doing for us, His people, is He's forming us, He's shaping and changing us and making us not like the world. Why? Well, because we've just seen that world, is, it's fallen, it is sin, it's, it's rejected and separated itself from the God of light and life. Thus, it's plunged itself into darkness and death. Just read the news, it's, it's everywhere. This is the world. If you really want to ever stretch your brain or if you want to do something sometimes simply so that you can feel better and smarter than other people, right, I do this sometimes, go and read St. Augustine's City of God. I've never read the whole thing. I've read a small abridged version of it. But it's one of the most important books ever written. Over 1,600 years ago, Augustine argues that there are only, ultimately, two groups of people in the world. That's it, too. We break down into all these different groups and identity politics and all these different disparaging. Augustine says there's two peoples, and he calls them the, the city of God and the city of man, the earthly city and the heavenly city. Well, what characterizes these two peoples? He writes this. He says these two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly city by the love of self, even to the contempt of God the heavenly city by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The first glories in self, the second in the Lord. You see, he's saying, he said, ultimately, there's only two groups of people. They're formed and defined by what they ultimately love. And it's either love of self or it's the love of God. And it is this that most characterizes our world the, the primacy, the authority, the goodness, the love. self, So we talk all the time in glowing terms about self-love and self-care and self-confidence and self-sufficiency. Self, 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 self. That's the world. And biblically, we're going to see that what that really is is simply sin, 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 sin. Sin is selfishness. Sin is no to God and yes to self. And that's the world. All about sin and self. And so in that verse that we just read, 18, when God saves you out of that, when God turns you from inward to outward, from self to to God, from sin to him, the world will not like you for that because you are all of a sudden not like them. And related to that, it will hate you for another reason as well. Look back at John 7, 7, just a few chapters back to John chapter 7. In John 7, 7, Jesus is talking to his brothers, his physical, his half-brothers. They don't believe in him at this point in time. So they're at that point, they're part of the world. And Jesus says to his brothers, the world cannot hate you. All right, they're part of the world. It can't hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. All right, when I play table tennis with my daughters... I look pretty good, and I am old, they are young, I've been playing for a little bit, they're just learning. And so when we play together, they think that I am great. I'm this great and wonderful, I am the light of the table tennis world. And then Andy shows up. (laughs) And I'm tempted to sort of hate Andy. (laughs) Why? Because now my daughters see me for what I truly am. Right Beside the table tennis uh, greatness of Andy... All my weaknesses and flaws and table tennis poorness shines forth. Right? His light exposes my darkness. His greatness exposes my weaknesses. Now look back at chapter 3, verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's what light does. And the darkness hates the light, for the light reveals the darkness for what it is. And no one wants to be exposed. Deep down, we are all of us painfully aware of our wrongness and our wickedness, of our great insecurity and insufficiency. We want to do everything that we can to hide that and to not be seen and known for what we truly are in our sin. And so when God graciously saves us out of all that, and begins to make us new, and begins to change us, and make us holy, there are going to be all kinds of people who do not like that. Because your increasing holiness, by the grace of God, exposes their unceasing sinfulness. You've probably experienced this at work. If you refuse to cut corners, right? if you refuse to cheat, if you refuse to go along with what everyone else is doing, out comes the hatred and the contempt. Why? Well, because your light, by God's grace, is exposing the dark. And so, know first and foremost that follow Christ and the world will hate you. Well, because it hates Him, He is the light. And the darkness runs from the light and hides from the light. 1 John 3:13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You will be hated. Point number two: it gets better. You will be persecuted. Let me do this one quickly as it flows directly from the last one. Plus, just go back and listen to, to Pastor Mike's recent sermon on this. But look at verse 20: John 15:20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We'll come to that last part next week. The Greek word for persecute means literally to pursue aggressively, to to chase. It's It's like a hunting word. A hunter chases his prey. Jesus says the world will pursue you to harm you. Why is that? Well, it's because of what we just discussed. If we don't like that which is other, if we don't like that which exposes us for who we are, well, the easiest and obvious solution is to do away with that which is other and exposes. Over the course of Christian history, this has often meant literal, physical persecution and death. John is composing this letter in exile on an island in the Mediterranean, after we think they'd already attempted to kill him once, and after all 11 11 of the other disciples have probably been killed. So John is writing to a church that very much would have known physical persecution and death simply because of what they believed. And that still goes on in much of the world today. One study estimates that over 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last 2,000 years, with over half of them in the 20th century alone. I don't know how accurate those numbers are, but I know that they're big. Many have very literally experienced the truth of what Jesus says here. They will persecute you. We do not yet face such literal physical persecution here. We do not yet face death. And so I in no way want to compare our relatively comfortable experience with theirs. But you will experience persecution of some form or another even here. Maybe it will largely be social and relational. There could be increasing uh, vocational and financial persecution as what the Bible teaches is increasingly hated. You just need to know that 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christ never promises us an easy life. Expectations matter. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for persecution? Are you happy to be hated? Happy? Yeah, that's literally what Jesus says, Matthew five ten. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But again, that's weird. Why? How, how is that? Point number three. Because you will be like Jesus. Here's where, at least if I've already lost you, here's where I want you to focus and pay attention. Because this this is what this whole thing is about. This is what God is up to and doing always for and in and through his people. Verse 20 again says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So like Jesus, look at 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. Yeah, I told you at the beginning. I'm trying to convince some of you to believe and become a Christian. I'm trying to encourage others of you in your believing and living as a Christian. And so far, I've been doing that by saying you will be hated and you will be persecuted. How could that possibly help convince and encourage you uh, in any way? What's well, only and entirely because of this point. It is only and entirely because of Christ. This is what it's all about. This is what we at Woodside are all about. This is what the choir is singing all about. Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. They're about to get back up here and continue singing. I want you to pay attention to the lyrics of the choir's next song. The song is titled, How Beautiful the Cross. Yeah, that's weird, how could they call something so ugly beautiful? A cross was a heavy, rough, blood-stained, smelly instrument of death, and death of the most brutal and humiliating kind. How could we call an instrument of death beautiful? What is only because of who was on that cross and why he was on that cross. Jesus has said in the first, first verse of our chapter, I am the vine. And we've seen him make seven such I am something claims. He's telling us who he is. I am this. And then in 858, he had told us definitively, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus says, I am, he is telling us who he is. This, this whole book the Gospel of John exists for one reason, to show you who Jesus is. And the claim of the book is that Jesus is the one who shows you who God is, for Jesus himself is God. And that is the claim that is at the very heart of the Christian faith. That is why we sing. John 1.1 tells us that Jesus, the Christ, the Word is God. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God become man. Why? John 1 tells us, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why. Sin is why. God has become man to take away sin. You know, I don't want you to pay attention to the next song. The choir's about to sing, it is finished, it is done, now the price is paid, and all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Why did a price have to be paid? Why did we have to be saved? It's because of sin. Is that this concept that is so often so foreign to our, our modern, everyone is basically a good person ears. And yet, it's a concept that we're all of us all too familiar with. Again, just read the news. It is so depressing and sad. There's so much animosity, so much murder, so much poverty and hopelessness and despair. And so we look without and we see it. And then we look within. And when we actually set aside the device's we use to distract ourselves to death, when we set aside the message of our culture that's desperate to tell us that we're all right and that all we need to do is just be ourselves and follow our hearts, when we're able to occasionally tune that out and set that aside, all of us are painfully aware of the great guilt and the great shame that we carry, the awareness of the fact that we do not measure up, that we are not Good. Why do we all feel that? It's because there is a good God who made all of this and all of you. And we are all of us aware deep down that we have rebelled against him and rejected him. And that's sin. Christianity is the only explanation for why this world is both so beautiful and good. Because it was made by the beautiful and good God. And yet at the same time so broken and bad because we have sought to cast off and kill that good God that made us good and made us for him all the misery and suffering and pain and death in this world and in our hearts is a result of that a result of sin Romans six twenty three says that the wages of sin is death you reject the God of good you are left only with bad you reject the God of life you are left only with death My girls are memorizing Ephesians 2 right now. And it opens, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin is death. And all of us are sinners. I am probably the chief of the sinners in this room. And if you are here visiting this morning, this is one of the things that I most want you to know and hear and feel. You are a sinner. And and it, it, it starts there. It all starts with sin. All that guilt and shame, all that not good enough, that not measuring up, that we have all feel and have felt, that's sin. And that separates us. That's a revelation of the separation of God. That is spiritual death. None of what the choir is singing, none of what I'm about to say about Jesus, none of it will make any sense or have any appeal to you until you feel and admit the weight of that sin And shame. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know that from God's word, and I know that from personal experience. And that's why the cross is so beautiful. That's why the gospel that we preach and sing revolves around death and a cross. The word gospel just means good news. The choir is proclaiming to you good news, it's the good news of the death of Christ. The death of the Son of God himself for us to take away that sin. And this is the second thing that I most want you to know and hear and feel this morning. Is that Christ is the only solution to your death problem. That that, that guilt and that shame, you can drown it out. You can try to distract yourself from it. You can ignore it for a while. But it's there and the only actual solution to your sin and death problem is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your sin creates a death debt. Justice means that death must be paid and either you will pay it yourself eternally. That's what hell is. Or you will come to Christ who pays it for you in your place as your substitute. This is how he takes away our sin. He takes on that sin. He becomes our sin and dies in our place that we might live. Second Corinthians 5.17, we read it Friday night. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the most important thing that you will ever hear. That's, that's the best news in the world. We deserve death eternally for our sin, but God. But God did something for us. God did something about the sin and death problem that we created. And that something is Christ. Who? He was willing to be hated and persecuted. He was willing to suffer and die for us. That we might be forgiven and restored to God. And he did it all out of love for his people. And listen, that's why you should come to him. That's why you should turn away from your sin and believe in Him, even though it may cost you, points one and two, even though it may cost you hatred and the persecution of the world. Because it is in Christ that God is restoring you to what you were meant to be, like Him, like God Himself, like Christ who so loved us that He was willing to suffer and die for us. And listen, to to be like that, to love like that, rooted in, In his perfect love for us, it's worth all the hatred and all the persecution the world can throw at us. It's worth giving up whatever you have to get up to get that which is of most importance, the love of God and life in him. Listen, the cross changes everything. The cross is the lens through which Christians view everything. It's there that we see God's great love for us, and it's there that we see that God's way is life through death. And point number four, I'll be brief and I'm done. That is finally what resurrection means for you in Christ. Yeah, there could be hatred, there could be persecution, but you will be truly and fully alive. And that's literally what the resurrection is. It's life. Jesus has just said to us back in 1125, I am the resurrection and Yes, he died for us in our place, but death had no claim on him. It could not keep him, and so three days later he rose again. And he didn't just come back to life. He came forward to new life, to true life, to full life. And this is the precise thing that he came to do for his people. John 10.10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundant. And listen, that's what you want. That's what all of us are looking for all of the time in all that we do. We are all of us after life that actually satisfies us and fulfills us and gives us peace and joy. And we try everything. We look everywhere. And yet, everything and everywhere eventually disappoints us and lets us down. We still haven't found what we are looking for. Because it is only found in Christ. And so, what the choir is singing about this morning, and what we most want you to know, is that true life, full life, spiritual, unending, death defeating life, is found only in the Christ who gave his life that we might live. He has done away with the sin that separates us from the God who is life and joy and pleasure forever. Every good thing in this world is meant to point you to God, the giver of all good things. But every limitation and ultimate failure of every good thing in this world is meant to point you to the truth. That true life is found only in and with God himself. You want to live. You want to live full of joy and peace. Not constantly seeking and striving. Not constantly plagued with guilt And shame, it's found only in the God who took on our guilt and shame so that he could remove it from us and restore us to him. Believe and live. Look upon Christ and live. The choir is going to sing more about it. Pastor Mike and I in here, we'll be in the back after the service. We would love to talk with you more about it after the service. It's what the whole book of John is about. John twenty thirty one. this is written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. He lives. He defeated death. And you too can live in Him if you will only come to Him. The resurrection is, is a whole new reality. It, it's, it's life, full life, breaking into this world of death. And it will eventually do away with the death and the pain and the tears and the mourning forever. Believe. And church Christians, just be encouraged this morning. What hope do you have this day in the resurrection of Christ? It transforms our sense of who we are and of what we are to do. And why we are to do it. The resurrection changes everything. And it can change your experience of everything. The more you, by grace, live in light of the reality of the life that is granted and guaranteed for you in the resurrection of Christ. So yes, you may be hated, you may be persecuted, but you will increasingly be like the perfect person, Jesus Christ. And have his perfect peace in perfect love and perfect joy, and you will truly and fully live forever. That is what the resurrection means for us. Hope in Him and live. Let me pray for you. Father, we now ask You to do that very thing. Help us to hope in You and live. Father, may Your Word be clear. May Christ be clear. Who He is and what He has done. And may the response... That we are called to give, to turn from sin and to trust in Him. May that be clear and may you grant that response to many in this room. As you draw us, uh, as you draw them from death to life in Christ. We thank you for your great love for us, revealed to us in the cross of Christ. We thank you for the choir as they lead us in a meditation on that cross and on that life. Bless them, help them, use them in this time that remains for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name.